0: Welcome to episode number three of the Coach's Kid here on the Sports Objective Network. I'm Kyle Barber and I'm joined tonight pitch hitting for Bubba Rosenbaum is Stevie Fly. How you doing, Stevie?
1: Doing good, bud. Doing good. How about you?
0: I'm doing all right. Tonight, uh, we, we continue talking to the uh, the sons and daughters of head uh, coaches from the collegiate world and the professional world. We're, we're going to talk to a guy here, Ted Party. We, we've had Ted on the show. Ted's color analyst for the Houston Cougars. We've had Ted on the show uh, in the past, previewing when when East Carolina on our regular sports objective podcast has played the Houston Cougars. But tonight we're going to talk about Ted's father, Jack Party, who uh, you know I mentioned that we we, we talked to to coach to, to the children of coaches from professional and collegiate ranks, and with with uh, with Jack Ted, we, we, he did it all, man uh the the i'll start it off like this the the only man to ever coach in the world football league the usfl the canadian football league division one and the nfl
2: and and be named coach of the year in each of those leagues that's the big deal
0: oh wow i didn't even realize that that was not in my notes here that's uh that's even that. That's even more, man. And that,
1: and, and and that's something that will never happen again. So,
0: I mean, he. I don't think so. He's uh, one of the well, kind there. Well, some of those leagues don't exist anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, WFL doesn't even exist. Yeah, no more WFL. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, the USFL exists in, and uh, to me, in name only. It's not what it used to be, obviously. Yeah. But um, so, Ted, we'll we'll start off. Um, obviously. With with the basics here, uh, you know, just like everybody else, you were born. So let's uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about uh, you you as a child and you where you were born and uh, and where your dad was in his career uh, when you when 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 you joined his life.
2: So great question, Kyle. So you know, I'm actually out in Southern California right now. Uh, I was born here. My dad played. um, He was drafted. Uh, in the second round of the NFC or of the NFL draft in 1957, uh, he was the 12th pick in the draft. So you know, kind of shows you how you know sm- how much smaller the te- the NFL was back then. But uh, Dad went from playing for Bear Bryant uh, in Texas A&M, uh, finished up his 1957 season with one loss. Uh, as crazy as this sounds, they were on probation by the N- NCAA, if you can imagine that. And uh, even back then, they did that crazy stuff. And so that they were had limited uh, game coverage and and uh, you know bowl all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but his college experience was an unbelievable, being one of Bear Bryant's team members, the Junction Boys. Uh, so my dad's sophomore year in in college, uh, bear was named the head coach and he took all the team, loaded them up in buses and took them out to West Texas, uh, to a little town called junction and basically ran them in the dirt for three weeks. And, uh, every night he, he basically said, come get your bus ticket. You can leave anytime you want. I'd say it's kind of a similar thing to what Dion Sanders, what coach prime did up at Colorado. Um, the, it, the concept was the same. Bear was trying to turn over the turn over the roster, and uh, and he did that. They only had 35 guys uh, out of 120 that went out to Junction. They Only had 35, 37 guys that came back with the team, and that's who they started their 19 you know 55 54 season with. So my dad was one of those guys. Went through the most grueling training camp. There's and there's a movie that they made about yep. it. A great book that's been written. If you're interested. Yeah. Um, But that was that was my dad. We get to California and I'm I'm the youngest of five kids. I was born here in in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, my my family, uh, we moved around a lot. You know, if you're a coach's kid, you're going to move around a lot. And we moved 13 times before I got to high school. Uh, Wow. With with stops. And uh, you mentioned the Florida Blazers and the World Football League. That was my dad's first head coaching job after. Being the linebackers coach for one year uh, with the Redskins in '73, and then the year prior to that, 1972 was my dad's last season as a as a player, his 16th year playing linebacker. And they finished up the season uh, with the sort of the historic Super Bowl loss to the undefeated Miami Dolphins. That was his last game that he played in. But yeah, you know, Florida Blazers got my dad was then named head coach of Chicago Bears. He was the first non-Bear. So, non-Chicago Bear former coach or player to be named head coach of the Bears, which which was a
0: a rare extent. How old were you when when he became the head coach of the Chicago Bears?
2: Um, Well, I believe he was 38 or 39, and I was in first grade. So, first, second, and third grade I spent in Chicago as a kid.
0: How, what kind of memories do you have of that? I mean, you were a very small elementary school. Yeah. Do, do you remember that well, or, or I mean, you, your I dad do. wanted Chicago, so
2: yeah. Well, he turned it around. You know, they hadn't been to the playoffs in something like sixteen years, and uh, you know, they just had been on a bad run in Chicago, and and you know, my dad he he took a chance on a on a on a on a guy who was at an H. He was at an HC um, HBCU. He. He was a guy that nobody was paying attention to, uh, but the guy changed football. His name was Walter Payton. Oh yeah! And back in those days, you, you didn't draft anybody unless they were from a usually a big time school, and it was rare for the you know the historically black college players to really get a shot in the NFL. But he was so electric. I remember talking to my dad about that, saying, "What? How did you convince you know the the old guard of the Bears?" to go outside of the bubble and, and go draft him. And he said, you know, Ted, I, I it was my first head coaching job. And that was going to be my very first pick uh, as a head coach, of the NFL, he goes, I, I bet my career on, I knew, I knew just looking at Walter, it, he was going to be hard to tackle. And he said, if I couldn't tackle him, then I wanted him. And That, that was his deal. So he brings in Walter brings in a bunch of the other guys and, and uh, you know, in, in our world today, you would never do this, but he gave the ball to Walter, you know, forty. 30 you know high 30s 40 45 times a day a game but he did it because that was his horse and and Walter was tough man was he tough uh a a tough runner a hard runner uh incredibly talented as we all know but uh so I was the kid walking around the the locker room after the game and, and going over to their facility which is in Lake Forest Illinois and you know as a little kid I other kids went to summer camp or did different things. I, w- I was, I was always at training camp. Uh, my, my whole life growing up, I would go to the bears camp, Redskins camp, you know, San Diego chargers, every place my dad coached, I was always a ball boy. And, and, uh, Walter just had a, he, there was something about him that, you know, he picked me up, throw me over this, his shoulders or carry me around on his shoulders. Just incredible guy. And, and, uh, we were, we, we remained incredibly close to him through his death, and and he was so kind to my family for so many years. Uh, my dad left the Bears to go to go home to the Redskins, where he had played. And uh, when when we played the Bears the first year in 1978, uh, they played at RFK Stadium in, in DC. And uh, after the game, uh, Walter came over to the Redskins locker room just to say hello to my dad, and and uh, you know kind of uncharacter it was NFL was different back then the NFL was yeah. a different kind of deal so but yeah lots of experiences like that lots of fun experiences like that growing up
1: well one of the things that we're just looking at your dad's past I I'm a volunteer coach we at a small private school we play eight-man football your dad uh, played six-man football one yeah. of the few to make it in the NFL as a six-man football player. Uh, and and I find that fascinating because there's there's so few. I think I, I can think of count your dad, I can think of like three that I know off the top of my head that had NFL careers there. And I, I just love the fact that playing six man, I can't imagine six. It's hard enough, you know, with eight because it's wide open. And six has got to be really wide open. And I and I mean that probably helped your dad later on uh knowing how explosive the, the offenses could be when he Absolutely. gets to use
2: well, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it, it you probably know in six man football, everybody's eligible, including yeah. the center. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's wide open. And, uh, and, you know, dad, he, he, uh, you know, back then, the, another thing that a lot of people forget there's been so many rule changes in football back when my dad played college ball, they play, it was platoon football, which meant when you get on the field, you could not be substituted off even with a change of downs. So you played yeah. both ways. The whole game and the yep. second you got substituted you were out for the half so if you were in the third quarter and you got hurt and you got substituted you were done for the game so you didn't come off the field that was the deal back when my dad played wow so six-man football kind of prepared him for that yeah. and uh <laughs> you know you look at you look at my dad's offenses that he had he always tried to uh, build around the talent right so when you get Walter Payton you run the ball right, right. You know, you run the ball. You go to Washington, D.C., you got John Riggins, you run the ball, right? He went out to San Diego to coach defense as defensive coordinator and got to see how Don Coryell ran things with with, with um, Dan Fouts oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, John Jefferson and, and Wes Chandler. So they they slung the ball around. And I'll never forget t- my dad telling me, he goes, yeah, I got off the field or I walked out of, into the locker room and Dan Fouts comes up to me. He goes, I don't care what you have to do. I don't care if they score on your DBs. Let's pressure the, let's put pressure on that quarterback and get me the ball back as fast as you can. And my dad said, well, that kind of changed his mentality a little bit on, on all of football. He was a ball control guy early on. And that experience made him think, you know what? Maybe there is something to this four wide receiver stuff. And that's how the run and shoot got to the Houston Gamblers. Was, was my dad's next job was the Houston Gamblers. And he got Jim Kelly at quarterback. Man, he had uh, so many Hershel. great receivers. Herschel Walker. Well, that was when they merged the team with, you know, when Donald yeah. Trump bought the team and then moved everybody up to New York and merged them with the New Jersey Generals and they became the Generals. And that team, you know, that was the greatest team that never played a game. And <laughs> it had it had so many NFL stars on that team. And and you know the the uh, antitrust suit that the USFL won, but they were only awarded one dollar and it was. <laughs> You know, it was a, uh, a, a you know a lot, the the award was trebled, so they got three dollars, and that was the end of the USFL. But but man, it was it was great to grow up in high school, seeing the run and shoot, getting to know Doug. Uh, well, Doug Flutie was on that team as yeah. well. Yeah. So getting to know all those guys, they were so they're just the greatest guys on the planet. Jim Kelly is one of the greatest guys, nicest guy on the planet. Um. You know, I was in college at the time when he was when he was moving to the Bills, and he still had his home in Houston. And I'll never forget being out at a bar one night in the off with all my college teammates, and Jim was at the other end of the bar, and he sent us a tray of, of tequila shots one night. You know? <laughs> That's who Jim Kelly was—just the greatest guy on the play. like the guy you want to go have a beer with right now. That's that yeah. was Jim Kelly. So I can see that. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know, and then and then the run and shoot—you know—they. The the uh, the gamblers really ushered it in, and then the University of Houston they made it happen. And and you know I played with Andre Ware, you know just one of the again a, a great guy like just a buddy. Uh, you know Dre is, I think he's I think he's a, a great announcer. He's still with ESPN. He yep. works uh, and he does uh, he does the NFL games too, but. Uh, Andre Ware was a great quarterback, and uh, you know he he could he did some amazing stuff. That was for sure. Ted, we backtrack a little bit here. I wanted to
0: talk about your dad's stint with the Redskins, yeah, and uh, and I kind of want to go because uh, you know just just to kind of get inside your head a little bit. Um, uh, you, your your dad got fired with the Redskins in uh, third season. Um, in uh, was it eighty eighty one?
2: Um, it was 1980.
0: was nineteen eighty nineteen eighty. How old were you when your dad when your dad was fired?
2: So I was, uh, I was let's see I always I, I remember it by grades that's because I remember what school right. I went to. <laughs> you know you got to kind of keep track of it. I had I went to three different schools for third grade and I went to two schools so, for sixth grade,
0: probably middle school.
2: Yeah, so it was sixth grade. Um, I started sixth grade in in Washington and then we lived in Virginia uh, out in Middleburg. Uh, so we kind of lived on a farm, actually, right. just kind of get out uh, a, a real respite for my dad working there. So when my dad originally took the job with the Redskins, it was kind of his dream job because he had played there. Um, my mom loved the Appalachian Mountains; uh, she just loved, you know, everything about it. So when he had that opportunity to take that uh, to take that job, when his mentor George Allen uh, was fired, you know, it was kind of a dream. To, it was a dream come true he went back and ended up coaching a bunch of his old teammates. That was a really interesting thing. You know, Chris Hamburg, Chris, was you know, Chris was my dad's buddy. And now my dad was his coach, you know, and, and my dad hired Richie Pettibone to be the, to be the uh, defense coordinator. Richie had been there free safety for a while, you know, so it was a very familiar, very family feeling. The owner of the team at the time was Edward Bennett Williams, who was a famous attorney uh, uh, and uh, did a lot of uh, great Legal work had a, has a massive uh, international law firm in D.C. called um, that's got his name on it. Anyway, Edward Bennett Williams was a great friend of my dad's, a wonderful friend. Well, he also had ownership um, in the Orioles. And so at the same time, there was a, a minority owner, um, Jack Kent Cook. And Jack Kent Cook was told by the NFL, you can only if you're going to own an NFL team, you cannot own any other. Uh, NBA team or NHL teams or anything like that they had a rule for for probably two decades it was like that so at the time Jack Kent Cook owned the LA Lakers he owned the LA Kings and he sold them both to focus on the Redskins and when he came to Washington you know we had a we had a really it was a weird kind of change of power from Edward Bennett Williams the owner to And and he ended up going off to the Orioles and, and own the Orioles full stop. So when Jack Kent cook came, came in, he had a little bit of a different vibe to him and he rubbed a couple of the players the wrong way. So in 19, uh, 1979, uh, John Riggins held out the whole season. He never, he didn't play just because Jack Kent cook, wouldn't pay him what he thought he was, you know, what he would deserve. And, you know, John Riggins, Rigo was a, I mean, he's a crazy man. Like, he, back then, he was – you didn't want to try to play against him. He was the toughest guy out there, and, and he'd run you over. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think he was stubborn. And, and he wasn't going to let some, you know, nerdy um, millionaire at the time uh, tell him what to do, right? And if he wasn't going to get paid, he wasn't going to play. And as much as my dad tried to talk him into playing, it wasn't going to happen. So that happened. And then Joe Theismann got hurt, and Theismann was out for the season. So you got your two best most important players both out for the season. We finished that year. The Redskins finished, I believe it was six and ten that year. Yeah. Did not make the playoffs. After going ten and six the year before and didn't make the playoffs, but it went to 10 win season because of the way the chips fell with the Cowboys. So you can't do that in Washington. You can't you can't you can't miss the playoffs two years in a years row. In a row yeah. And back uh, then
1: you could. Now it seems like it, it happens a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well nowadays these coaches get these Crazy oh, yeah. long contracts, and they're making money. Like tell me about it. Like, my tell dad's it. my dad got paid. I think it's he was paid one hundred and sixty five thousand dollars a year as the head coach of the Redskins. Wow, he was paid forty five thousand dollars a year as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Wow,
0: yeah, exactly. That doesn't even work with the inflation calculator to uh, what he does right now. <laughs> no, really, I mean, really. Yeah, um, yeah you are right. I so just just the, not to get on the negative, but I always like to ask this. When your dad was fired, or when he took any criticism, you know, in the Washington, the, the end of time, Washington, you know, they lost to the Cowboys, missed the playoffs, and that's when he got fired. Yeah, um, did were you kind of? Did, did they do a good? How was it for you in school? Were you kind of isolated from that, or, or not you, at all? Did, not okay. at all.
2: You can, you can't. You know, DC, the, like all you got to do is Google 1979 Redskins, and yep. the Washington Times will come up, and you've got you know president Carter on part of the page and my dad on the other part, like it, the newspaper used to be everything. And in it's such a hot focus of it used to be, I don't know. Maybe not now, but I'll tell you, it was hot focus on the Redskins and uh, to make matters even crazier. I went to, I went to school with Jack Kent cook's grandkids. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so it was awkward. I mean it was really awkward. That he had actually uh so his 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 uh uh grandsons they held him out of school for the next 2 weeks. Like they they kept him out of school just because they didn't want those kids getting picked. they were you know cuz my dad was popular and right. and you know he didn't win so that was that rubbed everybody the wrong way but he was kind of a you know a somebody they loved and and the other thing was that the way that Cook handled it was really odd because he held, everyone joked that it was the Inquisition. So at the end of the year, he had a series of meetings for two weeks where Bobby Bethard, who had been a scout in Miami when my dad got the job, and he was a hot scout. So my dad insisted that Edward Bennett Williams hire him as his general manager, the irony. And then he put my dad and Bobby against each other, pitted them against each other, and basically said, All right, I'm only going to keep one of you guys you got oh, two weeks wow. to sell yourselves to me and they cut, co- they covered it in the newspaper every day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was just wild. So, and you know, it's, I, I, you know, Bobby's kids and I were friends and, and that's football, you know, and, and cook ended up backstabbing Bobby in the end too, you know, and Bobby had to go out to San Diego for, the, to finish his career. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's pro ball. It's super, super vicious and competitive. And I'll never forget. I was sitting in our, at the kitchen table in, in December, um, you know, almost, almost leading up to the new year, like 27th or 28th, somewhere in there. And, and uh, dad came home and, and we all kind of just stopped and looked and he goes, well, I guess I'm going to be a full-time farmer now. And, uh, (laughs) and that, that was it. So, you know, we we lived on a cattle farm. We, my dad had cows out there and, and uh, sure enough, like three weeks later, San Diego Chargers said, "Hey, we want you to be our defensive coordinator, and we were moving to San Diego."
0: It must be a culture shock to you from uh, from Washington to San Diego. But before I, before we get into moving from Washington to San Diego, I do want to ask you. You know, as we talked about, you know, you going to school with uh, uh, Cook's kids, and yeah. you know, all, all that. Uh, Kate Holland, Terry Holland's daughter, told a story uh, last week when she was on here uh, when she was in sixth grade. Ironically enough, uh, she was going to school with a A big uh, booster son, a big booster at UVA, uh, their son. And he uh, started taunting her relentlessly for a couple of days. Her dad was going to get fired. His dad was going to make sure that her dad got fired. And she ended up punching him in the face and busting his nose get suspended. Did you, did you, uh, did you have any incidents like that?
2: Well, I did have, I did have uh, something similar. I didn't get suspended. It was at that school and it was, it was, you know, kids will pick on the coach's kids. It's uh, being a coach's kid, you know, it's, you gotta, you gotta just take the territory for what it is. And if you can imagine how vicious people are on Twitter and, and uh, Instagram and everything, social media today, kids in school were that way to your face the thing that was different for me was that I was getting bigger. So, yeah. you know, I, I eventually played college football and, and played outside linebacker like my dad. I'm I'm the exact same size as my dad was when he played ball. So we, my, I'm built just like him. So by the time I got to high school, all of that stuff pretty much ended for me. All right. <laughs> yeah, nobody got was going to mess around with me in high school. So hey, how hey, was it? Go ahead, Steve. Hey Kyle, we got we got a comment
1: in here that might be a little interesting, Mister Ted. Sure. Uh, as a guy, Johnny Robertson said, his first job ever at sixteen was at HBL Porsche Audi. He said, "I was sixteen when my first assignment at my first job was to deliver a gold Audi five thousand to your dad at redskin Park." <laughs> said he was able to meet and enjoyed the short chat, and he was and still am friends with the Bethard family. So I thought you might. Find that kind of interesting there do you remember that car
2: that's awesome i do I, I so it was you know my dad my parents my dad was like the classic coach he we never owned a car like we never owned a car until he got to the gamblers <laughs> it was just because the
0: loaner La- cars yeah
2: the team always gets you a loaner and so yeah. my dad had a he had a deal with with johnny coons uh which is a big dealership up in uh, uh or coons dealership which is up in virginia um, and so we had two Ford Broncos. I mean, I'm I'm the youngest of five kids, so I we had three. I had three siblings all driving cars, and my mom had to have a car, and my dad had a car. So yeah, I, I remember my mom drove that Audi 5000 actually, and it was a front wheel drive car. And I'll never forget after a big snowstorm, she's driving me to uh to my like dentist or something, and we slide off the road into a snowbank, but because it was front wheel drive. Man, it just backed right. It, you know, just pulled right out of that snow and took yeah. it back off again. It was pretty funny, but yeah, I remember that car.
0: That's interesting. You, you never know. Small world. Uh, didn't exactly. think we'd. You know, uh, Johnny's a regular listener to our regular programming. Um, so yeah, you you mentioned it. Just curious, you you were living on a farm in Virginia. Yeah. You know, D.C. is a metropolitan area, but it sounds like you guys are living out in the country in Virginia, which really there is no more country in northern Virginia now. Um, <laughs> right. So was it a culture shock? You had lived in Chicago in elementary school. Uh, yep. Was it a culture shock to you moving from uh, from Virginia to San Diego, or were you, had you moved around so much it was just the next place to go? I,
2: I think for us it was kind of the next place to go. We were really It was sad leaving Washington because – you know, living on a, you know, 52 acre cattle ranch outside of DC. I mean, it was like, you know, like I said, a dream come true for our family. And, and uh, uh, you know, we moved from there to San Diego, which, you know, it's expensive in Southern California. So we lived in a little, a little rental house uh, in La Jolla, which is a beautiful area. And and I made so many great friends in Southern California as well. There was a little bit of culture shock, but, uh, but I, you know, part of what I've had to do my whole career and my life is assimilate, right? You got to get into a new role. Yep. You got to get, you got to kind of endear yourself to the folks that you're with and uh, you know, try to get, get acceptance from the, from the kids you go to school with. So I went from living in Northern Virginia to living in San Diego, going to the beach, learning how to surf, you know, uh, trying to make sure I didn't get too many sunburns.
0: <laughs> did you, uh, did you prefer San Diego? Sounds like it would have been a lot of fun. high school the wage.
2: Oh, in listen, San Diego. San Diego's well, my friend, yeah, they had a great, time. I only, again, I lived there for one year. Okay. Just one year. Okay. a so a year and a half. A grade. <laughs> exactly. A year and a half. It was one football season. It was about a year and a half. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, I loved San Diego. I'm still really close friends, but it's as crazy as it sounds. I'm, I'm really good friends with so many of those kids that I went to school with, cause we've stayed in contact. And, uh, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a little bit of culture. I think the real culture shock to be totally honest with you, Kyle was not DC to San Diego. It was San Diego to Texas. That yeah. was crazy yeah. because what what I didn't tell you, my dad took one year off from football. He got out of football completely. He got frustrated being a defensive coordinator. He wanted to be a head coach. He didn't get any head coaching offers. So he literally left football and got into the oil business and went to work for a friend, um, that actually was a senator in in new mexico and we lived in midland texas which is in the corner of the panhandle of texas yeah right and so we lived in midland and it's an oil town like that's it it's oil and there's nothing it's flat as a pancake there's no tree, there's very little trees it's like west texas man there's nothing out there and uh i went from living in paradise in you know la Jolla, to living in Midland, Texas. And uh, but I had a great time there, too. You know, they were wearing boots and wranglers and I'm used to wearing OP shorts and flip flops. Right. I mean, it was it was a fun Exactly. Sunshine. Big time. <laughs> big time culture change. But it was it was great. And, and uh, we were there just one year before the gamblers called and we moved from there uh, over to Houston and uh you know I've, Houston's really been my home my yeah. most of my life i lived in we moved back out to california during the internet boom and I'm, I'm in the software business so i've been in tech business now for 32 years but uh and we lived up in the northeast for a few years too but we came back to texas in, in like 2002
0: let's let's talk about your dad's time with the cougars um yeah uh, obviously a lot of success of- Prolific numbers on offense. He had a pretty good quarterback, named Andre Ware, first 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 uh first black man to win the House Trophy. Um, Incredible, well, Incredible. Um, so So uh, talk talk about uh talk about um talk about your memories. Uh, no, I'm confused. I'm. Andre was not the first black player. He yes, out. he was. He was Okay. He was the All first right.
2: African-American quarterback to win the quarterback. Olympics. Yeah.
0: Quarterback. Yeah. Cause I remember yeah. OJ won it. He, OJ yeah. he yes. was yes.
2: the first quarterback.
0: Yeah. I was sitting there reading my notes and I had that wrong. I just had it. Yeah, in my yeah. notes wrong. No, I was like, right. I was thinking, guessing myself quarterback. Okay. All yeah, right.
2: QB QB. And, and let me tell you, you know, this, th- he's a, yeah, those are, you now those are my people. My, my, my old teammates were still close. We see each other every weekend during, during football season. I just saw Dre last week, uh, I mean, I mean, we, we are all super cool. Those are my running buddies. I mean, we, we built a bond in college that was so tight. And, uh, you know, those, those guys, I love those guys. We, we took a team that, you know, they were struggling. They had, they, they were one in nine in 1986, my, my, uh, or in, in 86 fall of 86, which was my senior year in high school. And, uh, they went from, you know, one in one in nine or one in 10, to we were 10 and 1 and the number one nation uh, number one offense in the nation uh <laughs> setting and breaking all kinds of records um you know just a an unbelievable life experience playing for my dad for 3 of the 4 years that I was in school you know built a a great working relationship with my dad you know it's when you're in college and you want to be a goof like I was a complete goof in college I couldn't be you know the boss was my dad I had to you know so <laughs> It was it was a different deal, but but we had a great time. The best part is when you're you know you're beating everybody up and you're having a good time doing it, and you're doing it with guys that other teams were like yeah, that guy's not any good, that guy's not you know Andre where Andre was recruited by Texas, um, but Texas said no you'll never play quarterback here you'll play defensive back for us. So Andre made sure that the first time we played them, we put seventy or uh, we beat them sixty six to twenty four or something like that or sorry 66 to 40 and then we beat we put 60 on them three years in a row while
0: Wow. I uh you speak thinking of big numbers um obviously uh, yeah. very very famous game. Uh what do you remember about the uh, SMU game? 100 1021 yards of total offense. Uh yeah yeah the 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 Cougs scored 95 points. 95 to 21 obviously Houston uh, SMU coming off the death penalty. But what do you what do you remember about that game and What's that necessary?
2: (laughs) Well, it's there's layers. I mean, so first off, football is a big family. And families, you know, good and bad, right? But but your family. Forrest Gregg was the head coach at SMU. And Forrest Gregg and my dad were tight friends. Like Forrest, um, he was with Green Bay. So when the USFL folded... My dad was unemployed for nine months. And so my dad became a scout for the Green Bay Packers. Why? Because his friend, Forrest Gregg, got him the job. So Forrest and my dad have been through things in their lives before. Um, Forrest, uh, there's actually a a picture of me, my dad and Forrest Gregg, shaking at the end of the game and having a conversation. My dad said basically, sorry, it got out of hand, Forrest. And Forrest said to him, don't worry about it, Jack. It's football. So then I have heard, so the SMU, I knew I got to meet some of SMU's coaches later in my career. And, uh, and they told me, uh, they said that when the team got on the buses, one of the assistant coaches started cussing the Houston uh, Cougar staff and Forrest got up and said, let me tell you something. They, they treated us with respect. They didn't back down. They played us as hard as they could. And by the way, that was their third and fourth string that was out there whipping (laughs) our guy's ass at the end of the game. Excuse my language. Uh, he goes, that, that's how you want to be treated. Later that year, I don't know if you remember, but like I think they played Notre Dame, and Notre Dame had you know wide open rush runs and they'd be running down the field and then they'd run out of bounds. That's disrespectful to your opponent. Yeah. And so to me, Kyle, uh I want to I want your best. I want your best. Oh, yeah. And if it means that you're gonna roll up 95 on me and I can't stop you, I can't stop your your third string quarterback or your walk-on. We played a a quarterback named Tim McCauley. He's, he was in the top 10 all-time freshman passers at U of H as a walk-on because of that year. Now, his records have been, have been blown away, but since, you know, with Case Keenum and all these other guys right. that came in. But, you know, the it, we're, I'm not talking about, like, we didn't leave the starters. and Andre was pulled at the half, and then this young guy, David Klingler, you may know that name as well, yeah. he, he wanted to get his. So he went out there, and, and, I mean, you guys know football. They played bump and run. They tried to play cover one against Houston. They, and they should have backed into cover four, exactly. and they didn't. And so, what do you get? What uh, the run and shoot had a ch- auto check back then. If they're going to roll your corners and get in your face, it's all go.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. was, we we had this conversation the other night, um, the guys and I, and I, I'm agreeing with you 100. I just in terms of football philosophy, when you put your backups in, they need to run your offense, or they're not yeah. going to learn it. They're going to be useless if you just. You know, use them handing the ball off. Uh, you you got to run your offense. So, no, yeah. I was kidding when I said, Was that necessary? But it was, uh, well, it, it,
2: it was a little, and we took a lot of heat for it in the press. And that was sort of the beginning of sort of this, this, you know, the media decided to paint us as the villains. And I think it hurt David Klingler uh, more than any person because David Klingler was a was one of the great – you go look at his numbers. He was one of the greatest yeah. quarterbacks that ever played college football. He was patient. He waited four years to play. He waited. Who would do that today? Nobody. I don't know anybody that would do that. David Klingler was patient. He waited. And when he got his shot, he was light, He was electric. And he beat a lot – he broke a lot of Andre's uh, records. And his senior year, he was the number one quarterback by a mile in college football in 1991 – and season of nineteen ninety, they were ten. We were ten and one. That ten was my one, senior year, ten and one, and uh, ranked third, as high as third in the nation at one point. We had finished at ten, and they didn't name him all American. Oh, wow! So, so you know what that means? He can never be admitted to the College Football Hall of Fame. You must be named all American in order to get into the College Football yeah. Hall of Fame. That's the right. world that needs to change.
1: Listen to these stats.
2: I totally agree with you. It's got to be changed because because the press was just bitter, or just they're the same way today. Quite frankly, a lot of these, a lot of this stuff. But you know, they they wanted to take it out on somebody. Houston running up the score on all these people because I mean, we put eighty two on Tulsa. We crushed. We killed Rice every time we played him. We beat everybody back then.
1: He put over five thousand yards and fifty four touchdowns his junior year.
2: Yeah, still, yeah. Oh that my was my God. senior year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, the guy was unbelievable. So, it's, it's too bad. But And his
1: senior year, he had, a, you know, mediocre numbers, which would be 3,300, almost 3,400 yards, 29 touchdowns. You know, but not mediocre, but I'm just well, they only had like, there. They only but, had like I mean, four wins
2: that year or something.
1: Yeah, like he was only off by 2,000 from his, from his junior year. But, I mean, yeah, come on, guys. You can't hold can't hold out against a kid in college doing his job. That's exactly thing.
0: Exactly. You, your dad moves on to the NFL again after that. goes across town to the to the Oilers. <laughs> um, talk talk about his run there. He has some success. Yeah, uh, apparently, loves staying in Houston.
2: Well, yeah. my dad has said, look, you know. He uh, he's the luckiest guy. He he would always say I'm the luckiest man on the planet. I got to coach three teams in one town like that. That never happens. And uh, so he coached the gamblers, he coached the Cougars and he coached the Oilers. And man, so close. You know, I I, yeah, I I think uh, finally the monkey is off of their back, off of our back on that uh, Buffalo thing with uh, (laughs) with. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: uh,
2: Thank you to the Colts. For allowing uh, Minnesota to come back and break that record uh, last year, that uh, but yeah, I mean it, that 1993 season was so close and so un. Yeah. It, you know, it's it it's like one of those things they need to make a, a thirty for thirty on it or something, man. It, you know, uh, uh, it's suicide. You, you go on a on a, a win a ten game win streak. You you know you're just mauling everybody in the pl- in the playoffs. You're you're killing the bills in the in the in the first half of the game, and then their backup quarterback Frank Reich comes out of nowhere and wins the game. Like it just was crazy.
1: What do you what do you remember your dad saying after that game? I mean, I, I, I'm sure it was a shock, but I mean, what what was his reaction after that game?
2: Well, this is kind of where you know there's I think I think there's the fan perception of what football is and what they think should happen. And then there's the reality. So the first thing that happened was ownership and general manager, they got involved. Like they stepped in and said, we're gonna make some changes. And they made, you know, they, they forced my dad to fire two awesome coaches, uh, Jim Eddy, who had been my defensive coordinator at Houston. He went on to the Cowboys and, and had a long career in the NFL. Uh, Jim Eddy and Pat Thomas and Pat was a great Texas A&M cornerback played for the Rams for probably 12. Years. I remember, yeah. PT, Pat Thomas, uh, two of the greatest people on the planet. And, uh, and they were the guys that were, that took the fall. They took the blame. And, you know, that was hard for my dad to do that. Um, and then they said, okay, we're bringing in our guy.
0: Mm-hmm. And our
2: guy was buddy Ryan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody thinks the head coach has all this, leeway and can do whatever he wants and you know what even jack Pardee, who was college football hall of fame you know respected legend that played the game for 16 years coaching for you know all these great players even he got told what to do by ownership and uh that was unfortunate it really was buddy you know buddy we, my dad has known buddy for years uh, they come from the same coaching uh, tree uh, which is the old Chicago Bears, the Bear, Bear defense. Team. So the Bear that a lot of teams or people will talk about was, was invented by George Halas, obviously. And then George Halas had a defensive coordinator named uh, named George Allen who took the Bear defense and then, you know, put his fingerprint on it. And then that's the defense my dad ran his whole career, and that's the defense that I played under. Uh, we still see it today all over the place. A lot of the four-man fronts that you see are – are they originate from the Chicago Bears. And uh, so so Buddy had his flavor of it that he called the 46. Right. And uh, it was actually – people – he didn't invent the 46 defense. He, he took a sub-defense, uh, as it's called, right? So you've got your main defense, and then you would have subsets, right? So you have nickel, for instance, is a sub. Mm-hmm. Right, or dime is a sub right so so the forty six was just hey, you change the front responsibilities, and you put a you put a strong safety on the line of scrimmage as a either a rush end, which is now why we have this rush end term or and and strong safeties back when I was playing football, they were six five the strong yeah. safety was was big like a linebacker that 's why these rush ends are all six five now, right, not five ten free safeties were never five ten you could have maybe a <laughs> cornerback, but uh, you know, think about guys like Steve Atwater. I played against yeah. Steve Atwater. He was at Arkansas. Um, I played against uh, – there was a bunch of other guys that that were just big, giant guys that played uh, safety. But anyway, that was what it was. So, you know, Buddy came in, played a high-pressure defense, played the 46 primarily, and, uh, you know, he he did fine. But what he did to – you know, the term culture is a little overused today, but what he did to the culture of the team – was really bad, and yeah. you know, like, like he would do things that were um, not team like. And as an example, if he got embarrassed, if like one of his play, like very competitive in, in practice, very competitive, very like over the top competitive with the offensive coaches, um, to the extent that the the offensive coaches and the defensive coaches had to have separate locker rooms at the Oilers facility. Wow. Because there's so much uh, hatred between the two. And my dad had could not have a single staff meeting. He had to have separate offensive meeting and defensive meeting. Oh, wow. And Buddy would do things like if he got embarrassed, one of his guys got beat, he'd just pull everybody in the defense off the field and say, okay, we're done with practice and go in. And he did it multiple times. Multiple times. (laughs) And so, you know, again – This is the inside baseball that a lot of people don't tell you about, but you know, those owners, they might be really good businessmen, but they're not really good at, at putting people together that need to be on the same page to be successful. And the only way all the best teams that I was with, everybody was pointing in the same direction. Everybody Mm -hmm. was, we had one leader. We had one leader on offense, Andre Ware. we had, we had, you know, our offensive coordinator, John Jenkins. We had Jack party was our head coach and Jim Eddy was our defensive coordinator, and they were the men. They were the dudes. They respected each other. Were, were we competitive on, in practice when, at Houston? Or heck yeah. Like we did, I didn't want Andre Ware to complete a pass in, in those practices. But well, we were still teammates. and right. We had to work together. So everybody wonders, why were the Oilers so divisive back in those days? Well, it was hard for, it was hard for the head coach to manage the team the way that it needed to be managed because yeah. his, his authority had been undermined by the owner.
1: That's unbelievable, and, and it gets so bad. You know, you, everybody remembers the incident on the sideline where uh, oh, yeah. Buddy Buddy punches Kevin Gilbride on the sidelines, and you know, just like you said, it, it's good. You know, it, it's almost like the owners wanted to get the flashy name in there, uh, the Buddy Ryan name in there, but you didn't think about the chemistry that how, how you, you mess with the chemistry on that team then because you, you look at the oilers you know the house of pain oh, they, yeah. they they had a good thing going but just because you get the flashy name of that doesn't mean you're gonna be any better and uh
2: it, you know, you know the, the, it just it just blows my mind that you know they had so much talent on that team that team Definitely. was so good so good defensively and offensively like like blows your mind when you go back and watch them play but the reality was that the leadership was they were so focused on the bottom line that they, they couldn't think big picture. And sometimes what, what I appreciate about the NFL today is I think that there's some owners that are good businessmen and they do think big picture. They do think about, okay, Hey, we need to be, we need to give this coach time or we need to not undermine this guy's authority. We need to do it the right way. Those types of things, but there still some kooky teams out there. Let me tell you, some kooky owners, but oh, yeah. you know, that it, every time I look at that talent on that team, I just feel like, could you imagine if, if, you know, if Buddy had just played along, like, yeah. Hey man, just, just, you know what? I know you think you know more than Jack Pardee does about football, but you you know what? Work with him, you know, work with yeah. Kevin Gilbride. You yeah. don't have to like him. I mean, we don't like everybody that we work with or what go to school with or whatever, but you know what? You got to do it for the team. Yeah. And- that's that's
1: a I'm a Steeler fan. I'm, I'm well aware of the talent that was on those Houston Oilers teams back then. There they you were go. they were scary. Yeah, were
2: scary. exactly. <laughs> the team that came in, man. And then and then what the, what did the owner do? He ended up trading Warren Moon. The, oh God, you know, yeah, the greatest quarterback ever. Like or well, that, the at least wasn't
1: wasn't that after the owner made a threat if they didn't make the Super Bowl he was going to have a fire sale? Was that Bud Adams? Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Bud Adams. Yeah. They still own the t- the Titans. Their family still owns the Titans. Well,
0: I wanted wanted to get to a couple of things here as we wrap it up real fast. Um, I wanted to ask you more. Uh, you you've talked about it quite a bit, but just playing for your dad, as you mentioned, you know, playing against Andre wearing practice, et cetera, et cetera. Was your dad extra hard on you, or or did he just treat you like one of the boys?
2: No, I mean, he, he you know he he said, look, I can't give you anything. I can't. You're gonna have to make it so obvious to everybody on the field every player is going to have to be convinced that you deserve to be out there. And so that put it on to me and, you know, that was totally fair with me. You know, I, I feel like, um, uh, it, it was, it was tough, but it was, it was what I needed to do to earn the respect of my teammates. And that's the thing that I appreciate the most because today I can, you know, walk around the university of Houston and I w I wasn't a superstar. I played, but you know, not a ton, and uh, I was a backup on defense, and I played special teams mostly. And, and I was the deep snapper. I did that too back in those days.
0: And um, this was – go ahead. What's that? Uh, if you were, I'd go ahead if you weren't finished with your thought.
2: Yeah, no, and I was just going to say, you know, to me, it was he treated me the way it needed to be treated. You cannot show favoritism to your son exactly. in any situation like that. They have to earn it themselves. So then when I was – you know, I have two sons, and I coached them both growing up. And I didn't give anything to them, anything. And I made them earn it and get, you know, knocked down and make them pick themselves back up and go do it. And uh, it's been great for them. Uh, my my youngest is a quarterback at TCU. And my older son is a wide receivers coach for the Houston Roughnecks XFL team works for, works for Wade Phillips. Wow.
0: Right. Hey, a couple of other things I wanted to bring up here. Um, one, one tidbit I found here online that I, I found interesting, uh, your dad um tried to get the Houston Cougar job again was that when they hired Art Bryles? When was
2: that? It was sometime no, it in the was 2000. After Art, yeah, it was after Art left. It was uh, they ended up hiring Kevin Sumlin. Yeah, was, Sumlin. Uh, okay. Yeah, they hired Kevin Sumlin and uh, he was, you know, 72 years old or something like that and um had an awesome coaching staff that he had lined up ready to go um that I would have been a part of which would have been so exciting for me cuz uh you know, I was it was a Point where in my career where I could make a break and and uh, that would have been really amazing. Um, David Klingler was going to be on that staff as well as a as quarterbacks coach and and oh, co offensive wow. coordinator. Uh, we would have run the run and shoot with Case Keenum. You know we were going to bring back the run and shoot, and um, we had a great defensive staff lined up, which uh, got me excited. And um, you know there's a couple guys that are that were going to be on my dad's staff that are currently coaching right now. Kenny Perry, who is a who's a coach at Texas tech right now, he would have been on that staff. So there, it was, it was like a, you know, it would have been a cool little thing that would have happened. And I know that if with the talent that, uh, that played against, you know, we played some, some big time games against ECU back in those days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. Um, you know, those uh, those were some battles, and, and uh, it would have been fun. They ended up running the air raid, and, and Dana Holgerson came in as the OC, and and yep. the rest is history, but yep. it would have been cool. It would have been a great experience. Your,
0: your dad, um, yeah, that's it's interesting to think about. I mean, obviously the Kevin Sumlin thing worked, but it sounds like your dad was prepared and would have had a good staff, would have been successful again. Uh, your, your dad got sick uh, with cancer, uh, passed away in 2013. Um how how did your you know I dealt with cancer? Um, I'm, you yeah. know I, I had colon cancer. Um, you know going for screenings constantly, constantly live with the fear. Uh Your dad sounds like he found out pretty late stage that he was sick.
2: So that was the third time he had had cancer. Oh um, wow! Okay, So yeah, you'll, you'll, love have the to, battle. you'll have to check it out online. But when he was when he was twenty seven years old, or in twenty seven, yeah, he was diagnosed with melanoma when he was playing for the Rams. And this is before I was born. Um, so he, uh, he, he was out of football for a year. Uh, so he, he missed weight. So technically he played 15 years. He didn't play 16. He played 15 because he had a gap of one year. And, uh, so my mom was reading the LA times and, uh, was reading this a story about this pitcher from the Houston Astros who had just died of melanoma. And, uh, Ted Umbricht, and it was weird because he wore number 32, and that was the same number my dad wore. And she said, you know, she was reading the article, and he had a brown mole on his arm, like up on his shoulder there, close to his shoulder, a brown mole. And they didn't catch it soon enough, um, and he passed away. And his his jersey hangs in uh, Minute Maid Park. He was a great pitcher for the Astros. And this is in, you know, 1966, somewhere in there. 65. And uh, so my mom was like, Jack, you've got that black mole on your arm. You know, we really should go get that checked out. And sure enough, you know, that saved my dad's life. He had experimental surgery at UCLA um, that uh, hasn't changed much. They still I had melanoma two years ago uh, and my daughter had my daughter's 30 and she had melanoma this year. God bless her. She's doing fine. But, you know, the key key here, Kyle, is you got to get checked up. You got to check frequently
0: Mm -hmm.
2: catch it quick enough they can take care of it it's when you don't get checked up and it goes on and on and on and on that there's a problem so he ended up um he he had some kind of he had actually it was was, uh gallbladder cancer yeah yeah and it had spread uh throughout his his stomach and everything else so you know it's the big C is a bad thing, man, but it touches some unbelievable, like one in two people, something like that. So, you know, my, crazy.
0: it's crazy. It's out of control as a whole black going on, on about thoughts of that, dealing with it with myself. And, you know, the voice of the pirates, Jeff Charles, yep. you know, his battle with it. And you know, yep. well, unfortunately we lost Jeff to a heart attack, but I know it, it's just, it's, there's, I, I won't even, we, we could do a whole show, <laughs> a on whole this. show you, on that. You Come probably got here. similar thoughts. I do about things that they put in our food and all like that, that,
2: Exactly. That's exactly right. You are 100% dude. 100%. And you know, you got to go fight just to figure all that stuff out, but yeah, you know, and but yes, you know, it touched our family. Um, you know, when when I got melanoma, my my mom you know freaked out, my kid my uh siblings were all freaked out cuz it was like a, you know, for back in the 60s, it was a death penalty, you know. Yeah. My dad was lucky to beat it. Um I I luckily have a great doctors and you know we got it done and my daughter got it done this year too but you just got to go get checked up.
0: That's yeah the- my 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 wife's um my wife's grandmother uh, also had melanoma in the 60s and uh, thankfully uh you know it was Duke for her. Yeah um, and UCLA for your dad. I mean back then if you weren't near a research institute you were pretty much doomed. You were in, yeah you were in big trouble exactly so exactly. Well, uh Stevie, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask Ted about about his father or?
1: uh no, just uh just an honor to be able to talk to you. You know, like I said, uh off the air, my, my parents are diehard redskin fans. And that like I said, the, it, when I was old enough to know what football was, that was, you know, his name and Chris Hamburger's name were the first two names I remember. And uh just, just an honor to be able to talk to you tonight.
2: Oh no, you you're too kind and great days in Washington, you know, great memories and great experiences we love we love the redskins and and just the whole the whole experience was awesome but uh appreciate you guys letting me come on the show appreciate it
0: thank you Ted, for being with us and uh we will see you down the road and good luck to the cougars and the big 12 this year yeah
2: thank you thank you appreciate it <laughs>
0: all, right. Uh, all right waiting on all right there we go hey there, there we go, go. <laughs> so i uh, got the the Coach's Kid is an archive, guys. If you enjoyed this show live, uh, go on our YouTube channel or anywhere you listen to podcasts, or listen to previous episodes. Episode one was with Tommy Bowden, obviously former head coach of Clemson and Tulane. We talked to him about his father, Bobby Bowden, amongst his own career. And then the other episode that we have out, which I mentioned earlier, it was with uh, Kate Holland-Baynard, um, as she talked about her dad, uh, Legendary UVA head coach and former East Carolina athletic director Terry Holland. And uh, that's a personal favorite of mine. I love Terry so much. Yeah. And uh, so go check that one out. He lists all of them. All of these episodes have been good, including tonight's episode. But just for my personal note, that one right there is uh, of all the podcasts we've done, and that's covering everything. uh, That interview with Kate Holland is one of my favorites of all time. I really enjoyed that interview because it's really nice to, 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 solidify what you thought of a man, what you saw of a man, knowing him, uh, you know, but not personally, knowing him on a surface level. The man you thought he was is exactly what he was. So uh, go check that one out if you haven't yet. And uh, wait for that to get off screen. I'll wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Bubba there we go all right there we go. all right so uh so Steve, there's bob right there bob popping in making a cameo here at the end
2: yeah but i didn't uh, think ted I didn't think ted was gonna sign out uh before the before the show was over so yeah i was trying to uh trying to fix the overlay so nobody had the logo on their face
0: that's uh, you know, the old logo. you don't you don't want the you old logo on, on your face, face. yeah so uh we uh gonna promote uh, upcoming content I guess real fast before we get out of here uh, tomorrow night we have uh, the pirate preview and uh, uh, who, who is it just uh me Matt Dave tomorrow night bubble what'll story with that
2: we will have either Adam Witten of the the App State Network, obviously, their play by play guy, or um, one of the guys, probably perhaps Big C from
0: the Black and Gold podcast. Okay, so you got to tune into that tomorrow night, the uh, Pirate Preview, as we preview East Carolina, Appalachian State. Me and Steve, we will be back with you Wednesday night, about eight o'clock, as we will have Terry Gallagher on with us as we talk about his record city performance against Appalachian State. We will have a top five of some kind. Steve, you'll be thinking about that. We got to have a top five. Oh, yeah, I forgot it, about that. And, and also, uh, Wednesday night, uh, uh, don't forget before uh, just another sports podcast, with me and Stevie, you got Sonny and Semenza, former East Carolina tight end, Jason Halder, former East Carolina linebacker, Matt Sabenza, will be previewing this week in college football and giving their picks for uh, week three of the college football season. So tune into that Wednesday night uh, before just another sports podcast. And then on Thursday night, we have uh, – uh, Jesus Christ, I can't think of the name of the show. I'm horrible at this. <laughs> the Inside Slant. The Inside <laughs> Slant. Thank you. that That's where we take a wide, broad spectrum at all – a big look at all the big world of college football. And we'll be looking at week three games. We'll have guests on from throughout the country uh, previewing the big games of the week for week three. Um, I just can't uh, remember the name of the damn show. Yeah. But it is the the inside slant. So uh
1: interesting note, guys. I don't know if you guys are paying attention to Monday Night Football, but Aaron Rodgers lasted one series and got hurt. Uh not yet known how severe the injury is. He got sacked, didn't look anything bad. He went down pretty easy, but uh had to had to get he was he was escorted off the field and hadn't been back then. So, so Zach Wilson steps in for uh Aaron Rodgers. So, it should be interesting to see what kind of injury this is.
0: Yeah, big story in the NFL, obviously. Aaron Rodgers uh, getting injured, um, huge news. So, uh, hopefully nothing too severe. Yeah, it,
1: would, uh, it, it wouldn't be good for the Jets, that's for sure.
0: No, definitely not. So, All right, Stevie, Bubba, and for uh, Ted Party, I am Kyle Barber, and you have been listening to The Coach's Kid here on the Sports Objective Podcasting Network. Good night, everybody, and go Pirates. See ya.